Hello, women who are changing the world. This is Dr. Alicia Vosidlo. And this is Jaden Wilcoxon. And we welcome you to the WGLC Thrive and Revive, a podcast series made for you and your alumni and follow-on program experience. This podcast is hosted by the Women's Global Leadership Consortium as an ongoing learning initiative of the Study of the U.S. Institute's Madeline K. Albright Young Women Leaders Program. We have four themes that we'll be discussing. These are the themes of our institutes, environmental issues, public policy, civic engagement, and economic empowerment. Our purpose is to provide you with content surrounding women's leadership so you can go out into your communities and apply these concepts to make change. The first episode centers on environmental issues, one of the themes of the Albright Young Women Leaders Program. During this episode, we are excited to hear from Green River College. Let's jump in. Today's podcast is centered on public health, the environment, and community partnerships. My name is Beth Carter, and I'm from Green River College in Auburn, Washington. I'm joined today by Sinang Lee, an environmental and public health advocate who works for Public Health Seattle and King County here in Washington. Hi, Sinang. Hi, Beth. I'm really excited to have this conversation with Sinang today because it focuses on public health the environment, and community partnerships. I want today's podcast to not only help you understand the interconnectedness of these three issues, but also feel inspired to make a difference in your own communities. So, Sinang, can you tell us a bit about your background? How did you get interested in environmental science and public mm-hmm. health? Yeah, thank you again for having me be part of this podcast series. So I worked in the environmental and environmental health field for 20 years now, but I would say my passion for the environment work started really as a young child. I grew up in the city of Long Beach, California, which is a pretty urban city near LA, but I was an immigrant, a former refugee from Cambodia that migrated to California and grew up there with my family. But being around the city, I definitely had witnessed a lot of injustices when it came to the environment. You know, the air pollution that we were breathing, the quality of the water that we were swimming in. So there was just definitely things I had noted growing up that I had wished was better for myself, my family, and my neighborhood in Long Beach. And then fast forward to high school, I got a chance to visit Cambodia for the first time since leaving as a baby. And it was really a big eye opener for me to visit Cambodia as in many other developing countries really lacked a lot of the basic sanitation and clean water, drinking water. And so for me, that really sparked my interest in the connection of environment and health and and also around injustice, environmental justice in particular. So I went on to get an undergraduate degree in environmental sciences, where I got to study in Costa Rica and learned about the farming community there and their use of medicinal practices. And so so I really saw the the co-benefits of how the environment can be beneficial if it's a healthy environment. But then I also witnessed that if the environment is unhealthy, it can have an unhealthy impact on our lives and our health and well-being. So my first real big job out of college was at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, also called the U.S. EPA. 
based in Washington, D.C. for a couple of years, worked on international environmental health work. And again, I learned about a lot of injustices where chemicals, toxics, chemicals that were banned in certain countries around the world were flowing into poor countries and being used and obviously harming community members. So again, there's just a lot of environmental injustices at the local, at the national, at the international level. And so I was just really passionate about kind of going in that direction of an environmental health specifically career, an environmental health science career. And that's how I ended up here in the Seattle area at University of Washington, where I got my master's in public health, specifically in environmental health. So tell us about the work that you're doing today. How do you identify needs in the community? How do you form partnerships to help meet those needs? What are you doing here in Seattle? Yeah, for the past almost over nine years, I've been here at this local health department called Public Health Seattle King County. We're the largest health department here in Washington state. We serve a really large population, a very diverse population. I specifically work in a division called the Environmental Health Services Division. And we do a lot of a variety of environmental health work. There's the traditional kind of sanitation type work where it relates to food safety. You know, um, we have inspectors that go out to the restaurants to ensure that, you know, workers are handling and, and preparing food in a safe way so it can protect the public and, and there are no outborn, you know, foodborne illnesses. And then there's the, I wouldn't say non-traditional, but more forward thinking type of work where we're not trying to be just reacting to the issues, but we're trying to be more proactive and really try to prevent environmental health impacts in the community. So that can take the form of education and outreach. So that's really relying a lot of on community partnership work, but also there's a lot of work around policy work and trying to advocate for better policies, regulations that can also protect people's health from environmental hazards. Specifically, I have been doing a lot of work over the years around a Superfund site, which in other words, Superfund is a designation for a site that is very contaminated, is considered one of the most polluted areas in the country, U.S. And so there's a small river called the Duwamish River here near in South Seattle that has been polluted by a toxic chemical called PCBs, and the PCBs accumulate in the fish that are mostly the bottom feeding fish, not the migratory fish like salmon, because they just kind of navigate through the waters. So the fishing communities that live nearby or come to the river to fish are essentially being poisoned by the PCBs unknowingly. You know, for some, it could be many years that they've been fishing here, catching fish, coming back to their household, their families, and sharing it with their family members or neighbors. Others come to this river because it is a good spot to fish and it's part of their, you know, community, sense of community, a way to relieve stress. It's also to really and continue their cultural practice of fishing, which is really important. So we understand there's so many benefits to fishing, but for us at, at Public Health, we wanted to make sure that the fishing community understood of the dangers of fishing for certain types of fish here at the Duwamish River. So the, for the past five or six years, my team members and I have been working with a lot of community members that they identify as fishing community members. They represent those from the Vietnamese community, the Cambodian community, and the Spanish-speaking community. So we've been really building relationships with them and seeing them as the experts and how best to educate their community around the dangers of the toxics in fish at this river. 
How do you know you've been successful when you partner with these communities and you're working on cleaning up Duwamish River, for example? How do you know your program is working? Yeah, that's a great question. I think sometimes, especially with on the ground, practice-based public health work, it's a lot of trial and error. We're going into something new, we're working on something new, we're building new relationships. So it's really important to really have a plan to always evaluate yourself, even if it's informal, like self-reflection. Oh, how did that meeting go? Is there a way that we could have held that meeting that could be more accessible to other groups or other community members? whether it be, you know, ensuring that there's interpreters, making sure that it's a, a comfortable community environment for people to come and attend. So there's always this ongoing self-reflection that I do with myself and with my team members and with our community partners to learn where can we improve. And I, and I think one of our ultimate goal for this work on the Duwamish was really about building what we call community capacity. For us as staff working in the health departments or other agencies, we know that we're not the ones living the experience and being impacted. We are the, in a sense, we're, we're trying to be more of a conduit for resources that can invest back in the community, but really the, the community members themselves who are community partners are really the, the leaders in this work. They know their community, they have the trust in their community, they have brilliant creative ideas of strategies and interventions and project ideas. And we're really just trying to be that kind of supportive program to their ideas. And, and one of our other goals, in addition to capacity building, is really making sure that the voices of the community members that are most impacted by this Superfund site are at the table talking with what we call, you know, agencies that are making decisions. You know, if we decision about how this programs getting budgeted for or funding, how this cleanup is going to happen. So over the years, our community partners, who we call community health advocates, have been able to participate in many roundtable meetings with US EPA, the, the agency that is overseeing the cleanup of this work, have engaged with other agencies as well that are you know responsible for cleaning up this site, and really just being a, a true partner and a collaborative partner with us. So I think that's some of the the indicators of success is how are we working together as a partner? Do they see themselves as leading this work and really owning, you know, their ideas and solutions? And can they continue doing this work if we, you know, start to step back? Because in the end, I think we want to not be at the helm of the work because it's not really, you know, our goal is really for us to be more of a supporter of community-driven work. And so I think we're at a stage after five or six years of this program to see that our community health advocates are really, you know, taking the helm, driving their guidance and recommendations with EPA at the table, leading the community outreach work on the ground. They pivoted during COVID. We provided them with tablets, trained them up on Zoom, but they really took off and just kept the program running that aligned, again, with their community needs and priorities. And again, us here at the health department, are really trying to be that supportive group to them. I love that, the idea that you're providing them with these resources and, and things that they need in order to lead the project themselves because they know their local community the best. Exactly, exactly. I will yeah. say we do take our Green River Susi group to visit the oh. Duwamish River while they're here. So oh, that's wonderful. Thanks for speaking about that. Yeah. yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about pursuing a career in public health or in the environment? 
Yeah, I have found, you know, that my career has really evolved and changed and shifted. And it's always, it always feels new because there's always something in public health as we've all had to experience, you know, and still at some point experiencing the COVID pandemic and the end of it, there's always a public health issue. And so it keeps things interesting. I would say you're always learning, you know, you might come out of a school or training and feel that you are comfortable in certain topics, but it's okay to be not comfortable in new topics of public health and just be confident that you can learn more and can I dig through and figure it out. So I think that's kind of really one of the essential skills in public health work is figuring it out when you don't have all the information, you know, look at what the, you know, scientific literature says and look what other health departments have done, talk with community organizations, see what their ideas are. So really just about gathering that information, learning from all the research you have, and then coming up with your own ideas and seeing if this could work, try it out, get feedback. So there's, I think public health field, especially in the connection with environment and especially with climate justice as a very critical and long-standing need in our world, there's just so much we can do. And you could carve out a niche specifically on toxics, if you like, or you could even go further and talk about indoor air, or or you could work around um, how land use plannings and policy affect lives. There's just so much, I think, in this arena that makes it really interesting. And anyone who's interested or passionate about addressing the environmental health issue can find a role in that field. Thank you. Our SUSE program participants are invited to apply for microgrants to implement projects in their home countries. And what advice, I may mean, you've talked a lot about partnering, for example, with the local groups near the Duwamish River, but what advice would you give to someone who's trying to identify a need in their local community? How could they form partnerships and create projects that make an impact in their local space? Right. I think, you know, I mean, if you are from a community and you find there's a need within your own community for a project, that's a great way to kind of identify some ideas. If you are going into another community that you're not a member of or don't self-identify as part of that community, it's really just going in there and listening and hearing and asking those questions. So what are your priorities? What are your challenges? What are your needs? You know, and, and just really being that kind of active listening mode first. And and obviously share your ideas of like, yeah, you know, I, I come from a field that addresses this topic. Is is that in alignment with what your community is interested in? Oftentimes what I have found in the work specifically in environmental health, environmental health is very invisible, you know, for the most part. The risk to our health from the air quality, as in with COVID, you don't see it, right? or air pollution, or in the water. So sometimes I often go into a community and ask them if, and hear about their priorities. And often it's not about environmental health. You know, it's not at the forefront of their mind, but their interest might be on jobs, you know, economic development. And then, so I kind of find ideas of, well, well what can we work on that also supports and leads to that benefit for job creation, for example. And so that's where, for example, the Duwamish program has this community health advocate at the core of the work because we contract with organizations that hire community members so they can participate as an advocate in our work as however many hours they have available. You know, they have many full lives. But it, again, gives that a sense of their, you know, being invested in. So I think going in it and going into a community and just learning what their needs and priorities is the first step. 
assuming that you don't know anything and then finding those creative, you know, win-win solutions where you could also help meet your goals, your program goals, but also meet the goals of the community as well. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Sitting, so much for joining me today to talk about your career and inspiring our listeners to elevate and amplify their voices and the voices of their communities for environmental justice, for public health. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for listening to WGLC Thrive and Revive. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the work of women's leadership and how you can thrive and help others thrive through your work and dedication in empowering women. Join us again for another fun and informative episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to share it with your cohort. And don't forget, follow us on social media at Global Women Leading on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We look forward to getting connected. As always, thank you for tuning in. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.